Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. I am your co-host, Sean Newkirk, alongside me with three guests today. Well, two guests. Uh, one is my co-host here, uh, Matthew Lamar. Matt? Hey, what's up? How's it going? Good. Um, we're joined also by soon-to-be out-of-state, out-of-area uh, resident Josh Ward. Josh? Hey, how's it going? And then finally, the newly married but still going by her name for all intents and purposes here uh minda haas minda hello and i gotta say josh is uh gonna be our east coast office yes or our, you know, yes yeah yes. excellent he yeah. will fax us yeah over i i i uh turned in my expense report because i bought mlb tv nice. premium for 25 dollars for the rest of the year very yes. nice. So. He got to clear the rate jar first, so everybody knows there. Right. Uh, to Max, who's everything. Uh, okay, so um, it's been a couple weeks since we last podcasted. Um, we talked about Johnny Cueto and Ben Zobers joining the Royals, and let's uh, let's have a chat here about maybe how they've been so far. Uh, we know Cueto's been pretty dang good. I just saw a tweet saying that, since joining the Royals, he's already been worth one and a half wins by Baseball Reference War, which is a pretty good chunk over you know a couple weeks. Um, guys and, and lady, how do we think the early returns are on on these two fellows? Uh, well, for Cueto specifically, obviously very good. I didn't think that the Royals really needed Cueto for for some reason. Like in hindsight, that's really dumb. I thought they would rather get. Uh, ben, like Ben Zobris type, which they did. They got both of them, which is great. But, you know, looking at what he's done, and, you know, you sort of uh, understand something uh, in a new light when you actually have a pitcher. You know, I, I think I was at least partially saying, oh, it's okay. But, you know, once you realize that you, you have a number one starter like Cueto, it's, um, it's something else, you know? He's really, 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 really good. And well, I, wonder- and I think first oh no even by all means <laughs> i wonder if that's something just sort of burned into our psyche as royals fans where like we the idea of having somebody who's legitimately that good is just so foreign to us that like and then uh secondly like well we don't want to give up any prospects like all we have is prospects you know we, we don't want right. to we gotta we gotta hoard those you know like cats in a freezer or something like just never ever <laughs> give them up ah. Well, um, yeah, and so to, 
So to actually like move those prospects and have somebody legitimately good come in at the trade deadline is fully foreign on several levels. Right, and I I think I actually went the other way with it. The what Matt said, he wasn't sure if we needed Cueto, and thought that the position player was more probably important. I I thought that Cueto was more important, but I think that Zobris' performance so far with the Royals has been as valuable as as Cueto's has been. I mean, the guy's already drawn eleven walks oh. in fifteen games. Uh, he's got an OPS of almost 1,000. It's at 993. With Over 9,000. <laughs> yeah. Well, not quite. Right, not quite. Uh, he's getting on base uh, like a 44% rate, and it's just, it's been completely ridiculous. Watching Johnny Cueto pitch is a remarkable experience, and I really haven't felt the way I feel about watching him pitch as I did watching Granky in 2009. Uh, and that's a really awesome feeling, but seeing a guy like Ben Zobrist, who is a lot like Alex Gordon, uh, and thinking that the Royals might have two guys who are able to draw walks and hit for power, uh, has got me feeling very, very warm. Yes, <laughs> Yes. That, that's a good way to describe it, I think. Sean, what about you? Yes. Uh, I'm going to speak on Zobrist here. Uh, oh, God. I love Sean Mania, but Zobrist has just been so damn awesome. 177 WRC+, plus, so 77% better than league average. He's got a, what, a 216 ISO. Uh, as Josh said, 444 OBP. The dude is just insane. And... It, it's sure it's a, a small sample size, of course, you know, here in the past 15 games, and it's kind of hard to project him to hit 177 for the rest of the way. But, yeah, I mean, already been worth by Fangraphs war um, almost his whole amount of what he's played in, in Oakland. He was worth .9. He's been worth .6 so far. So hopefully he gets um, – once Gordon's back, he becomes the full-time second baseman, really pump up his value there and uh, – yeah, very, very happy and not surprised, not pleasantly surprised, pleasantly uh, expected. Yeah, I think there, there's been a lot of hand-wringing um, among the comments uh, at, at Royals Review and just, you know, the, the general public about what's going to happen once, um, you know, Gordon does come back. Uh, because uh, Zobris has basically been put into left field, which is not ideal. Um, but, you know, once Gordon comes back... Um, they don't really have a choice. Like, everyone else is entrenched at their position. Like, are you going to remove Gordon from left field to play Zobris, right? <laughs> no. Are you going to remove Kane, who's making an MVP consideration, even if he doesn't win, uh, because Mike Trout is an alien? Um, you know, are you going to remove uh, Moose from third, or Escobar from short, or Hosmer at first? You know, there's just nowhere else on the field that he would play. And I think, in a way, like... Moore has sort of idiot-proofed that roster where the only two positions that are realistic for him to play are second base and right field. And that's, you know, that's the only way that that Yost can really use him legitimately. And I think even Yost, for all of his uh, sometimes frustrating displays of arrogance, knows that Zobrist is really good um, and that he's better than Rios and Infante. So I... I'm, I'm a little worried that he might do something stupid, but, like, 
there's not really much wiggle room there. It's it's either he's going to be in second base or he's going to be in the outfield, mm. and that's that's really his only options. Yeah, I, but I, I think Zobers at this point could put up one or two wins just to, as the third base coach at this point. You know, that guy he's just <laughs> pretty much good at everything. So it, I'm happy to put him. Doesn't matter where he's at, you know, on the team as long as he's somewhere on the team, it, he's you know he's going to help out a lot. Like Just that. so you guys know, as we're speaking, Ben Zobris doubled in Alcides Escobar. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, and then Hosmer singled. Yeah. Yeah, we are live watching this game. <laughs> podcasters. <laughs> well, and I think I think one of the things that I think the Royals are going to feel good about is come this offseason, if, if, they, if they feel like they can't re-sign Alex Gordon, if he's going to just be t- too expensive... I think that Ben Zobris presents a decent fallback option for them. Because monetarily speaking, if they can afford Alex Gordon, they can afford Ben Zobrist. I mean, right. that's, that is kind of just how that works. Zobris is not going to get the contract that Alex Gordon gets. Uh, I don't think they can necessarily re-sign both of them. But I think if Alex Gordon ends up getting a much better offer from whoever, probably the Yankees, but whoever, that I think the Royals feel like they, they would be able to re-sign Zobrist and actually put him in a position to succeed next season. Yes. And speaking of the game, it's not very contemporary by the time this post, but if you guys are watching this game, do you see this girl in the pink just sitting like right behind home plate, not even in a chair? Like, mm-hmm. Not even in, it's not even an assigned chair. I think she just brought her own stool and just sitting yeah. on home plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right next to Marlon's man there too. It's just right. bizarre. I can't stop figuring out how she's sitting there. Why an usher hasn't come down and said, "Ma'am, you absolutely cannot sit here." So she's right. actually levitating. Yes, and that's why the usher is like, intimidated yes. by her magical powers and is like, right. "Well, she, she, if she can levitate there where there's not a seat, then I, I better not. I better leave her alone." Yeah, Marlon's man. I love Marlon's man. Is there okay? Yeah. So, moving on from that, sounds like everybody, yes, is uh, happy about uh, Zobris and Quid, or hard not to be there. Yeah, I've actually got a segue, Sean. Oh, yes. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so here's my, my segue, is, um, uh, you know, Ward said, I don't know if the Royals have enough money to sign both of them, and I, you know, I, ah. I don't know if, if they do. I, I think it's probably pretty unlikely, but for my, like, off-season, my perfect off-season would be they re-signed Gordon. And they re-signed Zobrist, and in order to clear the payroll, they unload Infante's contract and Greg Holland's contract, who is under uh, the team's control for one more year. And the return for Infante and Holland can be nothing. You know, I, it, they need the payroll space more than they need either of them. And that brings us to the other uh, the other point. The segue is uh, Greg Holland, who sort of imploded a couple nights ago. Um, what what do we do with Greg Holland now, if anything? Well, I th- I think your perfect off season is also my perfect off season, so we agree Excellent. on that on that point. Um, I Greg Holland's season has been very strange to me. Uh, obviously, his velocity has been down this season, and he had shoulder something earlier this year. It, was kind of written off at the time as being sort of a minor thing. Um, and I had even heard from, from some people that if 
the Royals had been in the playoffs, he would have just pitched through what was going on with his shoulder at the time. But ever since then, his you know his velocity's been jacked up. His his walk rate has completely skyrocketed this season. He's not striking people out as much as he used to. Um, opponents are making harder contact. I mean, his ERA is is four point zero four right now, um, and his FIP is a little bit better at. 3.25, but his career FIP is 2.19, so he's a full run worse this year than he has been over his career, and I think I th- I I think this is is one of two things: either he has sort of a lingering shoulder problem that is continuing to bother him, that is simply kind of just not being addressed for reasons, or he's a relief pitcher and this is just what happens. I mean, yeah, relief pitchers are, are naturally fungible commodities and Greg Holland's been really good for the last four years, but to expect a relief pitcher to continually be that good year in, year out is, is kind of a fool's errand. Yeah. Especially for a guy like Holland, who's, you know, short ish, you know, five five ten isn't short in the real world, but you know, as a pitcher, that's that's not very tall. Who and throws? Who throws basically straight overhand on kind of a leaning? Yeah. Uh, with high slider point, usage. With yeah. high slider usage, and uh-huh. he also throws a split finger, which is also not great. It's not as bad as the slider is, but I mean, he has historically relied on his breaking pitches to set up his fastball and. It's just, eh. Yeah, I mean, looking at the the pitch FX data and and from watching the games, you, I I think like his main problem is that um, he his fastball is not there, so he's walking more people. He's not striking out, you know, as many people, and so he's lost, you know, a little bit on his fastball. You know, his career fastball is ninety five point six miles an hour. And uh, this year, his uh, fastball average is 93.9 miles an hour. So it seems to me like he is just, um, he's losing a little bit on his fastball. So what that means is when he throws it, uh, hitters are either fouling it off or they're making good contact when otherwise they would either foul it off or miss. His slider is still there, but his fastball, people are just, they know just to wait on the fastball. And in years past, like last year when he was really good, his fastball was really good. He was striking out a lot of people. He wasn't walking as many people. So it's a combination of he's losing a little speed so people can key up on that, that fastball. And he's also just not locating it as well. Um, so those two things, you know, it's it's really bizarre because he hasn't lost the slider or his other pitches, you know, at all. It's just the fastball's not there. And if your fastball's not there, that's, you know, not not good. Well, and I think he's also he's trying to compensate for that a little bit because he's throwing fewer fastballs this season than he has the past three years, and he's throwing more sliders to try and keep people off balance. And it it works two ways because his slider is a is a great pitch when it plays off of the fastball. Uh, but if the fastball is not there, then the slider, which he typically throws low and out of the zone, right, to, to get hitters to chase on it. But they don't have to do that anymore. If they can recognize the movement on it, 
because they know it's going to be a bull, which you know it explains why he's walking over five batters per nine innings this season. Just because hitters don't swing at the slider anymore because they don't have to. Yeah, uh, I I agree with everything everybody said. Uh, he is a different Holland. I think we can all agree that he's not the same. He's still good. It seems like he still has the capacity to be good, and you know it's hard to expect him to be as bad as he was the other night. You know, consistently. But right, I mean, he did come back the next his next outing and strike out the side. Yeah. So so we know there's something in there, but. I think it's pretty clear that Wade Davis is a better reliever than Holland, uh, mainly because Holland's very Holland's good. Wade Davis is very good, and it, there's a small difference, but there is a difference. You know, when you get to that upper echelon, you know, everybody's kind of just pretty dang good across the board. But I think statistically, you could prove, or at least even visually, you could prove that Wade Davis is a better pitcher than Greg Holland at this point. Right, but the the question is, you know, should Wade Davis be the closer? Um, and I think no, yes. actually, because uh, your best reliever being in the closer's spot where there are arbitrary limits on his use um, just sort of neuters a little bit. Um, part of Wade, Wade Davis's success is he's been able to pitch, you know, in the eighth inning. Um, he's pitched in the ninth inning, and you know what, in a tie game on the road, and Wade Davis in the ninth inning is, you know, as as sure as you can get to a. Um, you know, a clean, easy, easy out of that inning. So, you know, using Wade Davis in a role that does not restrict him to the ninth inning mm-hmm. is the best way for the bullpen. However, I could see a situation in which you say, you know, maybe Luke Hochaver should be the closer or Madsen should be the closer or whatever. Uh, but, you know, not, not Davis. Davis is too good to be the closer, which doesn't make any sense, but... That's, yeah. that's true. My opinion I mean, is, though, that there should, there should, and I think most of us agree on this, is there should be no such thing as a closer. It should be your best reliever should pitch in the highest lever situations. That kind of just makes sense, right? You want your most sure out to come at the point when you need the most sure out. And but so don't. that's generally in the ninth. Minda? I said, but domes. Yes. yes but, true. <laughs> it's just so entrenched. I don't know that it would be something that the baseball world could move away from. Just so everybody is, is aware of this, Wade Davis in the ninth inning has a .89 ERA. He actually has a worse ERA in the eighth inning than he does the ninth inning. Now, I don't know if it's tied on the road or, you know, what right. what circumstances well, he pitched in the ninth. I mean, he recently gave up a few runs in the eighth inning, so that has something to do with it. But it could, yeah, but it's .89 yeah. against one two two. I mean, right. there's a difference, but it's it's minimal. I mean, it's point. Yeah. I mean, it's basically no difference. But I mean, I think I mean the just based on the numbers. I mean, Greg Holland has been probably the fourth best reliever in the bullpen right now, after Herrera and Davis and Ryan Madsen. I would say. Wait! 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 Go back to April 1st and, and tell yourself you're saying that. Could you believe I, that? I cannot believe that Ryan Madsen has been better. Yeah. The other two I'm kind of okay with. Yeah. I, I would assume that Greg Cullen would outperform Kelvin Herrera. But yeah. Um, the fact that it's, it's interesting because the Royals have kind of lucked into a situation where they're using their best relievers – in the most important situations and leaving Greg Holland to pitch the ninth 
because that's been his role, but he is not their best reliever this season by a lot of measures. And so it leaves them with the availability of using Ryan Manson and Kelvin Herrera and Luke Ochaver and Wade Davis whenever they need them. Um, and so it's it's interesting how it's worked out for them in that they're not using their best reliever in the closer role. Uh, that's a good point. But the, my counterpoint, though, is, of course, the ninth inning typically is the highest leverage situation. Uh, you know, the a two-run lead in the eighth inning is not as high as a two-run lead in the ninth inning. You know, so it would just make sense that there shouldn't be a closer role. And this is an argument we can have forever, so let's not get too far into it. But that's my opinion on it. If you, you know, obviously, if you yeah. read my article, you understand. You know, that's mm-hmm. what I'm getting at. So, anyways, so I did read your article. Did I you? I, I appreciate it. I really do. I we're really trolling for page views. We <laughs> we make our own writers read the article 15 clicks. They have to click and read it 15 times. That's right. I went to the library and read it on yeah. every computer there. All so. the way from California. Minda's dedicated, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, and very. I mean. You're, you're right that Madsen has been much better than expected. You know, Holland, there's, there's, it's not bad having four really pretty good relievers of different variance levels there. Well, and it's, it's one of the reasons why I'm more than okay with trading Greg Holland yeah. and tying Omar Infante to his leg and getting literally nothing in return for them because I, See. I, I think they can probably re-sign Ryan Madsen. They've yes. got Luke Hojaver under contract. Wade Davis is under contract, and so is Kelvin Herrera. And so I, I think that gives them the cover that they need to get rid of Greg Holland. But attach him to – and that's my kind of issue with it is that if Andrew Miller – and obviously prices are higher at the deadline, but Andrew Miller for three months of him who had never – I don't think he had a save at all for um, the Orioles at the time – or the Red Sox at the time um, – he got traded for a nice little piece of Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, with only three months control. You think you would rather have Holland tied to Infante, get nothing back, you know, or relatively little value returning? Well, the thing I, the thing you have to keep in mind is you're not technically getting nothing. Presumably you're getting Ben Zobrist. If, but, but this is all contingent upon they'd have to sign Zobrist first, right? Right, yeah. Right, but even not Zobrist, they could sign somebody who would be a good, you know, fit as a starter or take on the contract of uh, another team that has, uh, has something, you know, uh, you know, so, somebody like Cole Hamels situation in which the Phillies sent money with Cole Hamels because they didn't want that contract to have the money to take on something like that. Obviously not that crazy, but you know, that as well. I mean, the Royals just need the payroll space. Everybody's right. going to get raises and yeah. you know, this is not suddenly a large market team. Yeah, so, I mean, Infante and Holland next year are going to make something in the neighborhood of eighteen million dollars combined. Yeah, but that, this is this is twenty sixteen only though. That's that's my kind of concern is that we're talking about well, Holland uh, for yeah. So it's twenty six million over the next two seasons because of Infante's two years oh. left. Right. That and that as well. You, so we we've have the sounds like there's maybe a collective feeling that. Nobody's good. Even if we took out, let's just say we took Infante and gave them uh, Christian Benford, nobody would take. What level return attached to Infante, prospect wise, do you guys think needs to come for someone to eat the full contract of Infante? 
I, I don't I don't know. It's it's really hard to tell. Yeah. Um, it's, it's yeah, that's that's such an unusual situation that I mean I guess was it Tuki Toussaint got traded for cash basically for, for cash basically yeah, yeah. Re- recently yeah and that's but, a really high uh, Toussaint yeah very big project but I mean just was a right. first round pick yeah. right but didn't but didn't actually come with any anything sort of attached to him right it was just yeah Aaron Harangs it was or, they basically yeah or, they basically uh, just sold nah. His contract for money. It wasn't Harangue. It was, uh, what's his dang name? His teammate in Cincinnati, but I can't think of. He has a long hair, dang it. Uh, Johnny Cueto? No. <laughs> Close. Uh, Bronson Orojo? Yes, yes. Gosh dang it. I couldn't think of his dang name. He plays that stupid guitar on that MLB commercial. Anyways, uh, so yeah, but I just think that I would rather ask a team to take Infante and figure out maybe what they would want attached to Infante and then trade Holland separately. Because I just think Holland's value is, he has pretty good value for, you know, it's the one-year closer. But, I mean, I, he's not extremely large contract. I mean, it's, what, it'll be $10-plus million or so, you would imagine, um, which is a decent rate. I mean, Andrew Miller's making more than that. Obviously, he was a free agent. It's a little different. But I, I just still think that we should look at Holland by himself and then see, okay, who'll take Infante? Because uh, worst-case scenario, they can just DFA Infante. I know it's just eating the money, but I mean, it's not like they have to play him 162 games over the next, you know, next remaining years each year there. So that's my thoughts. That's my pin. There's my two cents. Um, so Matt, you got to talk to Buster Olney. Uh, no, that was Kevin. That was, oh my goodness. I thought it was Matt. Oh, I, that's because like, I have all these interviews with like, I had one with Melinger. Yeah, weeks ago. But no, that was that was oh. all. Kevin. Is it is it Melinger or is it Melinger? It's Melinger. Melinger. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's Melinger. How I I've been I've been calling him Melinger this whole time. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was Melinger too. It's Melinger, huh? I'm yes. I, and Sam, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but I I got that. I I read something that he wrote or something where he said you know it's a it's a guh. Okay, but. That's neither here nor there. Um, I did not interview Buster Olney. <laughs> you didn't? Well. Nope. Do you know who Buster Olney is? You're very well aware of him, though, correct? Yes, okay. I, I know who he is. <laughs> Josh, you and I share a great uh, yes. A relationship yes, we do. with him. We, we are both blocked on Twitter by Buster Olney. Yes. What did you guys do? Um, Linda, are I... you blocked by, by Twitter? Are, are, are you blocked by him on Twitter? Uh, not to my knowledge, but I, I suppose I could log on and see. <laughs> I dated his daughter. That's why he blocked me. It's pretty pretty simple there. I criticized an article he wrote for ESPN the magazine um, in which I I can't even really state what I said at the time. It was what not was, necessarily... What was it about? The article was about Brian Cashman uh, in 2013. Oh, okay. Doing such a wonderful, remarkable job of rebuilding the Yankees with all of these spare parts and how great he was and how amazing the Yankees organization was for playing Lyle Overbay at first base and <laughs> trading for Vernon Wells. Um, and it was, it was just the most soporific thing that I uh-huh. read that year. And so on Twitter, I 
I don't. I don't even think I mentioned his handle on Twitter. I think I just mentioned his name, uh, and found out within a couple of days that I had I had been blocked on Twitter because none of his tweets were showing up in my timeline anymore. He's a very bitter man. No, How did that even happen? Well, yeah. What did so? What did you do, Sean? Um, I think I kind of deserve mine. He he. Uh, he had a tweet, I think it was in like October. Yeah, it was during the World Series. And he said something along the lines of like, now in the dugout, um, Hunter Pence brushing off the dirt from his, his pants or jersey or something like that. Something really just like, okay, what's the point of this tweet? And I just kind of snarkedly said, oh yeah, that's some real insider content right there. Like, just <laughs> joking. And then, and, and this is, it's his prerogative obviously because it's a Twitter, but it's a, I feel like it's a very common thing among among like very national pundits that like I mean it's just a quick they don't give a, a crap about who I am it's just a quick little block okay if you don't have anything to say to me I don't care block you know it's it's quick to do so I I don't know but yeah it was something like something very stupid like that by myself stupid of me not necessarily of him so I, okay I found my tweets just read Olney's philatic article on the Yankees <laughs> in latest ESPN mag gag unto me with a spoon yeah, that's <laughs> that's it. I think Twitter automatically blocks people. Any any article that highlights giving Vernon Wells a two year, fourteen million dollar contract as frugal and prudent is disassociative narrative hawking drivel. Jeez. Wow, that's. But like, why did he? Any block article him? that gives kudos to the Yankees for picking up Overbay's desiccated corpse and playing him consistently at first base is blind ego. But. You didn't even like mention his Twitter. Like you didn't nope. mention, like at Buster only. Oh, like, you didn't add him? Nope. Yeah, that's no. That's just really just, bizarre. Those just, are some great A tweets though. Yeah. Holy cow. So, I figured you uh, I mean, I figured you added them. That's how it nope. happens. Wow. Maybe somebody like well, I don't know. Maybe somebody quoted you and tagged him or something. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm also was... guessing that he just has a PA that searches for his name. Yeah. Like a tweet that column. Yeah. Just automatically. Just, I'm guessing that he has an intern that searches for only and then yeah. blocks and adds or whatever people based on what they're saying about him. Right. Which is basically what Dan Zimborski does, except for he has a Google alert that every time something with his name comes up, he just gets an instant email. Right. Yeah. Oh, is that why it always shows up in the comments when yeah. somebody says Zimborski? Yeah, that's why if we say Zimborski, Zimborski, Zimborski three times. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's why it shows up. He's probably going to pop up in this damn podcast here in a couple <laughs> seconds now that I see Well, as long as you mention in the article that we talked about him. Yeah. Oh, a, nice. A little blurb for yeah. the podcast, and yeah, he'll definitely. So, what's up, Dan? Hey, Can you Dan. Draw, another, uh, draw another comic involving Billy Butler and <laughs> Andrew Royals? Can you uh, give me some pointers on my Hearthstone deck? Yeah, what's the deal with zips? Uh, so, <laughs> what's the deal with zips? Um, is it like you put them on like pants and stuff? Yes. I just, I, why? <laughs> what does that have and, to do with baseball? And then you don't have to watch games anymore. Yes. You got your zips. Nerds. Yeah. <laughs> we have, you know, Professor Calculator is here already with Matt. Then we that, got that's that's correct. Dee Zimborski coming in. Um, hey, breaking not breaking news, but news that's relevant at least. Um, the Royals just. Or announced they signed. We knew about Randy Rodriguez, but they also just signed um, Nebraskan Joba Chamberlain, uh, former Cornhusker. There, what are we, off the cuff, big, big corn. Yes, 
What's uh, what's the hot take? What did we feel about this quick little little quip? This will pick up. Depp is good. I, I like Depp. Yeah. They You're need ar- they need arms in AAA. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, badly. It's that. Yeah. Minda, who is starting in AAA? Like they traded everybody. Uh, yeah, they're pretty, and not only two starters, but the two starters who consistently could make long starts uh, oh, in Aaron man. Brooks and John Lamb. So it was pretty much like, well, uh, they actually brought Chris Dwyer back into the rotation. Uh, He's been in the bullpen for the last like year plus because his health got bad, and he's not good. So he's, uh, I, I mean, his poor health sapped a lot of his strength. I'll say it that way. But they're they're trying him back in the in the rotation, and then like Buddy Bauman slots <laughs> in for some starts, and and uh, Buddy Bauman's basically like he gets treated like a college pitcher in some ways. Like they just sort of run him out there whenever they need him, whether he's rested or not. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's like cobbled, but yeah. um, we do have Miguel Almonte uh, recently joined the team, yeah. and JC Solberon. Um, Quaid, or the Broxham trade, by the way, for those who yeah. want to know the yeah. genesis of that guy. Silpharn and Sam Silman, right? Yeah. No, uh, uh, Donnie Joseph. Donnie, Donnie Joseph. Joseph yeah. Yeah, the Donnie Dojo Joseph. himself. Yep. Silman yeah. was drafted. Right. Yeah. from Vandy. Um, one of the many Vandy pitchers that were drafted or have been. Clayton Mortensen's still starting, isn't he? Oh. Yeah. Yep. Man, I'm looking at this. Man, the, I don't know how you do it. Young lady, I'm looking at this Omaha roster, and it's there's just nobody exciting on this roster except for maybe Almonte. I mean, it's it's so strange too because last at the end of last season, everyone was like, "Oh, see you next year. Can't wait till we have all these prospects here." Uh, and then like everybody's either skipped us, yeah. got hurt, got traded, and we have no prospects whatsoever. Man, uh, Brett Abner, yeah, Brett Abner, Balbino <laughs> Flynn Mayor. Uh, oh man, don't bring his, him up. His, his brief Nova-like rise through the organization. Very sad with the poor, poor man. Yes, um, get get healthy soon. Speaking of prostate, pro- prostates. Uh, speaking of <laughs> prospects. Um, no comment. Yeah. Uh, so let's, what about those September call-ups? Uh, possible September call-ups. It's almost September. It's getting close. Usually after August, September comes. So in theory, September is coming up next month. Um, Minda. Who, as our Omaha resident expert, resident and expert, um, who's coming up? Who do you think would maybe make a good call up uh, for this September? Um, just in you know, to keep things simple, as far as who's already on the forty ban, um, I would call up a Ray Fuentes, huh? left-handed outfielder. Um, he is good depth. Uh, young, fast, plays all outfield positions, and has hit really well this season. Um, so he could, he's definitely someone who could spell any outfielder who needs a day or two off in September. Um, and he's on the 40 man. Uh, I, I do think, you know, if if Terrence Gore's ankle uh, heals, he'll be up. Um, not, not that he's in Omaha, but mm. I don't know, just again, keeping with the 40-man roster. Like, those are easy moves. Um, but then it's... I, I don't know. Who who do you think that um, is not on the 40-man that you would want to drop somebody to, to call up in September? Oh, man. Well, Go they've ahead. got some spots. Yeah. Open yeah. On the oh, yeah. Man. They got yeah. Well, they have... T- and, I think they have well, and they're also losing a lot of guys that are on the 40 for next year. So, I mean, you can expect Young and Guthrie to be gone. Oh, yes. Please. Uh, oh, good point. 
Huh. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think guys that are obviously going to be added would be Bubba Starling. Yes, mm-hmm. has to be added. Uh oh, to the forty man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to be an obvious call up this September. Yeah. Although the team seems to be making overtures, like they're going to bring him up. Um, but he's one who ha- who is going to have to be added. So. Just as well, call yeah. him up as well. Uh, Monacy has to be added. I think we've. I think that's a fact. Mm-hmm. I think we think that's right. true. And then yeah, but I, I don't. I mean, I don't. Yeah, and I don't. But I don't think he's going to get yeah. help. Do you? Now, no, I don't think so. But I would actually like a playoff roster where Infante's not on the list and Mondesi is, just because Mondesi could pinch run and play defense. He could be the defensive replacement specialist for you know the late innings. But it, that's a that's a weird roster. Not my actual one. That I think it's going to happen. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I just. I think I just. I hope you guys didn't hear that. I tried to mute my microphone fast enough, but I just screeched at the top of my. Ah. Because your Dono Ventura just quick pitched and got a ground ball out out of it, and it was beautiful. Uh, Sorry. Very nice. Is going to be probably. There's a lot of talk about him going to the bullpen, the the major league bullpen, that is. He's starting now in in, uh, Northwest Arkansas. Um, That almost seems like maybe. Not a no brainer, but that seems like. There's a couple good candidates other than guys who are already on the 40-man, like Terrence Gore. Um, but it seems like maybe Zimmer would be a pretty good option pending health. Agreed? Agreed. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's been, been, he's he's been, been killing, killing it. Um, yeah, a little less often because uh, uh, since he's gone to the um, uh, and I think rotation. But, like, like as a reliever, it was, like, it was clear that like, he was too good only, You know, he's yeah, on a pitch limit and everything, so he can't go five or six innings. So you don't know if he would have given up more runs in that start. He's still only – he walked two and struck out four. He gave up three unearned runs the game before that. Um and in his first, I think, actual start, he uh, you know struck out five in four innings or something like that. So he's his results have been kind of mixed, but he's still striking out a lot of guys. He's still not walking very many people. Mm-hmm. Um, and outside of one start where he gave up some ridiculous like seven or eight hits, uh, he's not giving up contact. I mean, even in the in his last start where he gave up three runs, he only gave up two hits. So, it's... Yes. He's, and, yeah. And I watched that start, and it was just... Uh, it, it very rarely you see pitchers dominate. That I mean, not very rarely, but he just absolutely just had them eating out of his hand. He would just throw curveball anywhere he wanted to throw the curveball. I mean, it, it, one of those hit the chalk lines. I had a, a, a gif of that, or a gif of that, excuse me. Um, it just bounces in the chalk. The guy goes, I, okay, and just swings. <laughs> Saw that one. <laughs> you look, yeah. I, I, I know that this is like uh, maybe a bit bit much for prediction, but I think um, the Royals should seriously consider about starting him next year, like right out of the gate. Starting in got. the rotation, right? Yeah, just okay. put him in the rotation, go for it, because uh, yeah. he'll be making the league minimum, and they're at the salary point in the, the cycle where they're going to need – contributions from people who are making league minimum. Yeah. Um, so I I think, you know, if he, if he goes well for the rest of the year and he has a good spring training, just go for it. He's 24. He's had an injury career or an injury history. Um, but when, when he's been on the field, he's been excellent yeah. everywhere, everywhere he's gone. Yeah. And, and nope, sorry, go ahead. 
that's yeah. I I just, I just think that that might be something that they should consider. It's just like, all right, well, here, here we go. Yeah. And even if he's not great there, like he he's got to be better than Guthrie. Yeah. Or you know, equivalent yeah. for yeah. much less money. But why did I mean? Wandy's not necessarily going to be around next year, but you know, you never know. Yeah. And I'm I'm, I'm joking, by the way, but I I do think that both Kyle Zim, Kyle Zimmer should definitely get a, a pretty long look. In spring training next season, obviously presuming he's healthy. Yes, and then they also really need to take—I mean, probably need to take a long look at a guy like Miguel Almonte because that you're Matt's absolutely right. Like they're at the point where those guys that have kind of been on the edge of being prospects or uh, have been prospects but haven't necessarily lived up to all of the hype due to injury or performance or whatever, they're getting to a point where they can't afford not to see what they can do at the major league level. Yeah. Um, so Yeah, can't afford it, literally. Not, like, not just, yes. Literally can't afford it. Not, not necessarily just like as an organization speaking, but literally don't have the money to go out and give the next Jeremy Guthrie $10 million in a year. Oh. Or give, I mean, even Jason Vargas, they can't go out and get another one of those for $9 million. Yeah. Like, they they have a core group of players who are in arbitration who are becoming expensive. They're, if they're being very smart about things, they're going to take a long look at, at trading Greg Holland this offseason, regardless of whether or not they attach Omar Infante to his leg because he's expensive and he's only around for one more season and the Royals have options and they need to re-sign one of Gordon or Zobris just to try and maintain the success from this season which isn't a guarantee because some players are performing over expectations so guys like El Monte, guys like Zimmer they're going to have to take a look at them in their rotation and they're gonna have to see what they got, and th- and then also hope that you know your Donna Ventura can be better for an entire season. Yeah, and hope that Danny Duffy can remember how to strike guys out. Are you guys proponents of speaking of Kyle Zimmer? Um, you only there's there's only so many bullets in the arm, as they would say, uh, that you know every pitcher is eventually gonna break. So why not maximize the innings you can early on before they break? Absolutely. I mean, with Zimmer, that seems like if we can get six months of healthy Zimmer consecutively, we need to get that in the major league level because if you wait a year or two, you might not get that, you know. And there's not a lot left of development-wise really with Zimmer other than, you know, getting his fastball command down a bit and working on his change. But, I mean, Zimmer absolutely mowed down this double-A roster last night, which, of course, is the double-A, and they happen to be one of the teams that are really, really – bad at taking walks they just swing at everything but Zimmer's pretty good and he's got a pretty good arsenal consistently ranked up there with prospects asterisk when healthy so yeah I mean if you believe in the so many bullets in the arm kind of theory um that yeah Zimmer seems like a pretty good candidate for that I certainly I do I do agree with that um unless unless they think that Zimmer's injuries which I don't see how they would be. Unless they thought Zimmer's injuries were caused by some kind of mechanical flaw yeah. that needed to be ironed out. 
then yes. And I think they're at that point with him now, like you said. I don't I don't know what you're going to learn or what he's going to gain from spending another half season in double A and triple A. Yeah. Other than getting to talk to Minda. <laughs> which might be worth it. Yeah, yeah. Could Much better than Major League playing experience. Yeah. Absolutely. Minda's, Minda's a good player. It doesn't show up in the box score, though. You yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. It's like Chris Getz's newfound power. Right. You'll not see any evidence of it. <laughs> no, you will not. No. And that's that's one of my favorite favorite memories from from old. Yeah. Um, and speaking of old, I'm, I'm all about the segues today. Yeah. Uh, Mike Sweeney, he is now in the Hall of Fame. Woohoo! Yes, he is, and uh, deservedly so. Yeah. Oh, very, very much so. Um, um, I think it's interesting on Twitter specifically that everybody understands that Mike Sweeney was the best player that the Royals had for a decent stretch of time outside of I mean you could argue for Carlos Beltran and would probably be correct but Mike Sweeney's the one who actually signed a deal to stay around um, but it's interesting because people on, on Twitter you know were kind of not necessarily cutting him down but trying to get past the idea that Mike Sweeney was one of the quote-unquote best hitters in baseball during his peak. Um, and from 99 to 2003, Sweeney was 34th in baseball by weighted runs created plus, which 34th in baseball over a five-year stretch doesn't... Pretty good. It's pretty good. It's not great. It's pretty good. And specifically for a Royals team that uh, had, if I remember correctly, one of those guys. Um, I, I I think that's worth remembering and worth honoring. I mean, he's second in team history in home runs. He has the franchise record for RBIs in a season. Oh. He's in the top five in on-base percentage and slugging percentage for you know for guys that have had. I, I think it was something like a thousand plate appearances with the team. Uh, there's there's a lot about him on field production wise that is worth being in the Hall of Fame. And then when you get into everything that he did for the community while he was a player, and everything that he does for the organization now that he he works in the Royals front office in a nebulous job description, which He's a Royals ambassador, but from what I understand, he also does something with the minor league system or with player development or player personnel. Yes. Um, and just the fact that he's, you know, kind of embraced the city and the team and the organization and continues to be a really good example of professional athletes. I think that's worth something, even if he wasn't, you know, Alex Rodriguez or, you know, Barry Bonds or or whatever. Obviously, no, I don't think anybody is suggesting that he should be in the Hall, Hall of Hall of Fame. Fame. Yeah, right. 
But at for the Royals Hall of Fame, I I, I think it's a yeah. a more a more than worthy submission. He's ninth all time if you believe in WAR uh, wins above replacement. He's ninth all time in Royals, you know, wins above replacement. So beyond Patek, beyond Porter, Seitzer, McFarland, Duranda, I mean, he's up there. I mean, I think he's a he's easily a top ten Royal of all time, uh, in my opinion. Now, an, a parallel of of Sweeney, who we can get back to Sweeney here, but Billy Butler is from 2009 to 2012. He was 32nd in uh, weighted runs created plus so 128 WRC plus. Do we think but would you guys put Butler in the Royals Hall of Fame? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think I think I agree with that too. The no Royals Hall of Fame. Because yeah. okay. I mean, if you're if you're talking about guys and where they rank in in terms of uh, team records and things like that, I mean, Mike Sweeney is in the top ten in basically every offensive category you can think of, except for. Tr- Ripples. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Billy Butler is also in the top ten in all of those categories. Okay. So I, I, I think it's it's a fairly good comparison. I mean, I think Mike Sweeney was a better hitter than even Billy Butler was. I mean, Billy Butler never had the kinds of seasons that Sweeney was able to put together, but Butler was not that much worse. I mean, it's kind of like saying Sweeney was was very good, and one time he was phenomenal, and Billy Butler was just consistently really good. Yes. Okay. And Butler, and, and this is the thing is we sometimes we have to look you know the quantitative wise because Butler is tied basically with Ray Sanchez and UL Washington and and right. wins above replacement for Royals. So he's right. down there on the list, thirty second overall right now, but. Yeah, I mean, he's among all those categories in hitting. Consistently good hitter. Obviously, probably won't finish his career as a Royal. I you know, don't imagine they'd have him back, uh, except for maybe coach third base. Um, unless unless he signs, like, a one-day contract like Sweeney yes, did. Yes, agreed. Okay. Uh, but I also, I mean, this is kind of tangential, but I think the Royals Hall of Fame is too small. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that they only have, they have 25 guys in there, um... And I guess I guess I, I say it's too small, which is to say, in the next ten years or so, there's going to be a handful of guys that should probably be immediately put in there, like Carlos Beltran, like um, Billy Butler when he becomes available, um, and even further down the road, obviously a guy like Alex Gordon, yeah, uh, even Zach Greinke. Yeah, I I would agree, Greinke definitely. So. Now, I, oh, I, I say that it's too small. It's I don't think it's necessarily too small right now, but I think you you can make a case for a couple of other guys to be in there. Yeah, um, David DeJesus as well. You, I was about to David DeJesus as, as well. Excellent would, would you, be a guy that I would put in. About to say, Matt, you favorited that tweet of mine about DDJ. He's a dark horse. I mean, he is tenth overall in wins above replacement, which I know you can't live by that only, but it, still. DeJesus was just there for a long time. Almost, you know, 4,000 plate appearances, 876 games. So, yeah, I think DDJ, I think he should be in the Royals Hall of Fame. It's not a sexy name. It's not George Brett, but, I mean. No, but I I think there's a lot of a lot of people who understand, who were watching, who bothered to watch the Royals between, uh, I guess, what would it have been, 2003 to 2010-ish? Roughly, yeah. When when De Jesus was around, 
who recognized that he was their best player, <laughs> probably for, hey, for for several of those years, except for Emil Brown, I guess. Yeah, because you know he had the Jesus had back to back four win seasons. I absolutely did not know that. So the Jesus was almost the. That's all-star candidate. Right. Not, there yeah, not only did he have back-to-back four-win seasons, but he, he averaged right about three wins yeah. for five years or six years. Basically until, you know, he hurt his hand. Yeah. Man, I, I, I'm a big DDJ fan. Now, if we wanted to talk real quickly about current Royals that are maybe Hall of Famers, we know Gordon is going to be. Someone mm-hmm. tried making the case the other day that I, I disagreed with it. Um well, I, I don't know. Maybe I don't disagree with it. It was, it was uh, um, Lorenzo Cain, Hall mm-hmm. of Famer, yes or no? Um, if we just, just, you know, it's easy to say, well, maybe in 10 years, yeah. But do you think up to this point, has he done I, Yeah. Let me put it this way. If he had two more seasons as just an average player, then I would say yes. Okay. I, I, I say I, yes already. Because he was the American League, uh, 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 he was the MVP, right? Of, of yeah. that that well, I'm, I'm blanking. Yeah, the ALCS. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was he was the ALCS MVP. And you know how many people are the ALCS MVP? Like not just, not that many. Just one a year. Yeah, and right. the Royals obviously are are not in the playoffs that often. Yeah, uh, right. historically, and so for a guy to make like such a big you know, contribution in the playoffs. And that that's the thing. It's like, I think it like 20 years that we're going to see, like, I think most of the core of this current team is going to be in the Royals Hall of Fame. Um, Salvador Perez, you know, he probably will be, you know. Yeah. He probably should be just on that one hit in the wild card game, you yeah. know. Um, well, let's just go around the diamond. I mean, yeah. Perez maybe is, prob- is probably going to be in just because of his longevity with the team. Right, and, th- and this yeah. probably should be assuming that they'll play another two years with the Royals, right? Yes. right? That's agreed, yeah. So, Eric Hosmer will probably be uh, Maybe. 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 I don't think he should be, but maybe. Okay. Omar Infante. Yes. Will... will... <laughs> that's, that's a joke. Let's yeah. just rule out yeah. Rios and Infante right now. Alcides Escobar probably sure. will be. Sure. I think... And... Because, again, he's going to be... With the team for three or four more seasons, yeah. And if Patek's going to win at least one Gold Glove, he's probably going to win the Gold Glove this year. Yeah, uh, it might win another one. Mustakas is a no. I think Mustakas is probably a no. Yeah, probably un- unless he has two seasons that are twice as good as the one he's having this year. Yeah. Uh, Get Gordon's a yes. Yeah. Same Kane time. is yes. I just yes. say yes. Okay, I got a maybe on him. Um, so, uh, and okay. then if you want to go into the bullpen, Greg Holland's a yes. Yes. Kelvin Herrera. No, I don't think so. No, he doesn't have the saves. You've got it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't have the the rate the counting stats that you that you want yeah. out of bullpen guys. Davis seems like a yes. Wade Davis might be a yes, considering how historically good he's been. Yes. Uh, I I think you you probably have to put him in there. It's a tougher sell, though, for the general public, uh, yes. since he's not, you know, quote-unquote proven closer with the saves. That is, that is true. It is, But it that's, is, you know... You guys it is are definitely a tougher sell, but then you can yeah. you can point to the fact that he's got a sub-1 ERA yeah. over mm-hmm. two seasons. 
Ned Yost as well. Oh, and I hate he's that. Ned Yost will be in the Royals Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. And what, what about Dayton Moore? Dayton Moore will also be in the Royals Hall of Fame. What about Ned Yost Russell? is the winningest manager in Royals history. Oh. There's, he took them to the World Series. As did Dayton Moore, so yeah, they'll, they'll both be in. There's no way that he's not going to be in, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dark but, Horse, Rusty Cunts. What do you guys think? <laughs> no. I give him a special exhibit that doesn't necessarily mean he's in. Yeah. But we can enjoy his his um, rambunctiousness and yelling if, uh, for generations. In the lawn, just I was going to say, if anything, they should put his leaf blower and his his nice. toupee in yes. there. Uh, Although it's probably not a toupee. Yeah. yeah. Great point on Zach Rinky. I, I think so. You guys thinking. Two things. One, are you guys big hall? I'm a big hall guy. I think that there's. Sh- I don't think the hall should be tiny guys. I think it should be a relatively size. You know, there should be no limit. You know, there shouldn't be just two a year. Or there should be however many are good. Um, but do you guys think that you either? Do you think that winning a Cy Young and winning an MVP just in one year, you're automatically should be in the Royals Hall of Fame? Yes or no? Yeah. Um, maybe not automatically. Like if James Shields. Or like if if Cueto, okay. yeah, you know, yeah. If, theoretically, if that's, Cueto had been traded yeah. from an American League team that's and won fair. the American League, uh, you know, the Cy Young, Agreed. I, you know, I I don't know. Um, if yeah. there are a multi-year Royal, then probably, um, you know, Zach Greinke is today to this day is my favorite baseball player, both what he does on the field, oh, but yeah. off the field, and I I have you know the Royals have obviously been really really good, but. His starts were just, you know, an event, like capital E events. Yes. And yes. it I was mean, that, what he was doing was just so far above what everybody else was doing. Kind of yes. like when you watch Wade Davis now, but, you know, with three and a half times as many innings. Yeah, right. <laughs> just, he, he was just special. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's... It's like Bo Jackson, you know? There, there's right. no, you can't quantify it. He's just Zach Greinke. That 2009 season... My group of friends, we organized watch parties for every single one of his starts. Nice. Uh, we would either go to the game or we'd go to Minsky's or we'd go to Buffalo Wild Wings to sit down and watch Zach Greinke for two and a half hours. I mean, that season alone, I think, would put him in the Hall of Fame. With a guy like Lorenzo Cain, he did win the ALCS MVP, but I guess I took the question as if Lorenzo Cain was traded this offseason and never played another game for the Royals, would he be in the Hall of Fame? I say no. And I I would I'm very borderline borderline on it because he's only had the two ish seasons. The yes. three ish seasons. Three also depends on what he does in this postseason. That's right? what I was gonna say. Pending right. unknown. Right. Yeah. That that is also true. If he wins if he the ALC that's M V P again. Yeah, absolutely. Then absolutely. Yes, absolutely. But, so, uh, but but yes, I'm 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 a big Hall guy. Like I I think that the Royals they you know have 25 guys in right now, and I think there's going to be room. There should be room for several other guys. Fun fact, by the way, because you were talking about uh, the wins above replacement leaderboard for for the Royals, uh, I thought it would be interesting to point out that uh, Gerard Dyson is 22nd. Huh. Who's he around? Who's around him? Al Cowens and Ed Kirkpatrick. Huh. Uh, and he's two slots above Willie Akins. Were those were those 
1980s guys? Because remember how bad I am at knowing 80s royals? <laughs> oh, you mean Cowens and Kirkpatrick? Yes. I, Cow- Cowens was a, a mid-70s to mid-80s guy, oh. and Kirkpatrick was way before that. He, okay. was, uh, he, was, he was with the royals in the early 70s. So that's why I've never heard of him. Okay, I'm yeah. sure, you know, people... Yeah, I mean, Al, Al Cowens is, I believe, is in the Royals Hall of Fame. Yeah, I knew Cowens, but I hadn't heard of Kirkpatrick yeah. before. But I, I just think it's interesting that Gerard Dyson, part-time player, yes, who can't buy his way onto a starting position or even in a platoon without some guy getting hurt, is likely going to end in the top 20 <laughs> In wins above replacement for the Royals, a team that's been around for forty, you know, been around. It, it's right. not the Nationals here. It's just yeah. Some guys from from that are on the team now that are ahead of him are Alcides Escobar, Salvador Perez, Alex Gordon, and Lorenzo Kane. And no. I think all, all four of those guys are are, are probably going to be in. Uh, so Mike Sweeney, favorite Mike Sweeney moment. Um, go ahead, go uh, Joshua. Have you thought of one yet? Uh, so the, the only, so, the so only one I can kind of remember, and I had to look it up on Baseball Reference to make sure that I wasn't completely full of it, uh, was there's a game in 2003, um, about mid-June, when the Royals were still chugging along, still trying to stay above 500. They had slipped back to second place uh, in the division. Uh, they were facing the Minnesota Twins, who were in first place at the time. And Mike Sweeney, in one of his you know handful of games that he played that season, uh, went something like two for four with five RBI. And the Royals ended up in- winning the game in the bottom of the ninth on a Raul Abanez single after Mike McDougal blew the save, <laughs> giving up three runs in the top of the ninth. Um, but Mike Sweeney hit a home run and drove in five. Um, and that's... I remember that... After looking it up, I actually remember that game pretty well because it was one of the only times that the Royals were able to tackle the bulldog Eddie Gordado nice. and actually make him uh, blow a save and take a loss or either of those. And I remember hating the twins so much in the early two thousands because they were the team that always seemed to be one winning the division and two always had a guy like Lou Ford that was crushing home runs into center field and AJ Przezinski was on the team at the time, and he's just a dick. So, <laughs> uh, so the listeners at home know we are ruling out the Jeff Weaver fight, and what's the other one we're ruling out? Stealing uh, home. Stealing home. home. Yes, yes, right. Um, Matthew, um, you know, I don't really have that that many strong memories of, of Sweeney because uh, I moved. Uh, I was nine years old when we moved to here from Can- from Cleveland in two thousand. And so I had no affiliation with the Royals. And it really just sort of, I don't know, sort of like, you know, this disease that grew on me over the course of a decade, you know, and finally, like, 
another reason why Zach Greinke is one of my favorite players is like his season is the season that sort of like cemented the Royals as like my team, you know. Um, and I started following them, you know, every, every single day through everything they did. Uh, and so I don't, I don't really have that many good memories of of Sweeney. I do remember that we were at a game in which Sweeney had a game-running double because, you know, he just hit it into the gap and, you know, they, they scored and they won because that's what Sweeney does. I also remember going to the, um, with a group of church people, this is like early 2000s, uh, must have been like 03 or 04, uh, it was like Christian Day at the K, and um, we all moved, after the game, we all moved like to the, the, the closest seats and then Mike Sweeney talked to us about you know, his faith, and then uh, he handed the microphone off to Carlos Beltran, who, you know, spoke to us as well. Um, and those those are two the two moments that I, you know, remember. Um, the other thing that I remember is, like, is when he took out the whole page in the Kansas City uh, Star um, to thank the fans. Mm. Um, and, you know, that was... You could, you could really tell that he cared about uh, Kansas City. Took out a full page ad to thank the fans that had been deriding him for the last four seasons. Yeah, yeah, great guy. Minda, yeah. what do you think? Um, I mean, I have you know, I I have uh, memories, I suppose. Although I think he had just made a new memory for me during the broadcast on Friday um, when he he joined the TV broadcast for maybe too long. I mean, they, they kind of ignored the game action a little more than we would have maybe preferred as a, as a watcher. But um, something that he said Friday really resonated with me. Um, so he, even though he is a, sort of a, an employee of the team and he does rove through the minors and, and provide his instruction or you know, pep talks or whatever... Um, he still does, for the most part, reside at home in, in California with his family. And so uh, he was asked, you know, so since you're at home in California, do you do you follow, like, the Angels, too, since they were, like, your childhood team growing up? And he said, no. I I love the Royals. I only follow the Royals, and I only like the Royals. I don't, I don't care about any other team the way that I care about the Royals. And I just, for whatever reason, I just think that's pretty cool in this day and age where, like, the the one team attachment isn't that important anymore. Uh, it was just really cool to hear him say that, and I, I believe it. Um, but I I did share on the site in a comment um, just when I was like uh, like eighteen, and it was my first season in Omaha. Um, he came here to rehab from you know some injury or another, and um, I like creepily hovered around the dugout waiting for him to finish up a radio interview or something and like I went to ask him for an autographed ball I was like not smooth with talking to players or anything yet because I was it was like my first year here so I was like hi I'm a fan and I'm Catholic and I think it's cool that you are too and can you sign a ball for my brother's church group please Kay thanks <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he did he did and, and uh, also signed a, a ball for uh, my brother and signed a bat for me, which I still have. I'm I'm not big on autographs, but that bat is yeah. cherished. Um, and then he invited my two of my brothers and my sister in law to go to church with him that that Sunday, which is oh. really really nice of him. He didn't have to do that. It was very sweet. Yeah. Uh, Honor, honorable mention for the time that he got struck in the back by a relay throw from right field. Yes. <laughs> 
I think Man, my favorite one. This is such a oh my god. Oh, watching the Royals in the two thousands was just. Oh. <laughs> I showed I showed you know the video of Ken Harvey um, getting hit in the face. Yeah. Uh, by Jason to, with Jason Grimsley. Being yeah, to, yeah. To, my, to my wife who had not you know seen or known about that, and I showed it to her, and she just like laughed just hysterically, like how that's just so so bad. Oh, and that happened like not that specific thing, but something like that happened every week. Yes. Whether it's, it's a new terror, whether it's a ball, a line drive hitting a bird in Cleveland to let them score the game-winning run or Kerry Robinson climbing the wall on a ball that landed (laughs) 10 feet in front of the warning track to Emil Brown leading the team in RBI in two seasons. With, like, 62. Yeah, yeah, it was 80-ish, but, like, it's just... Shooting that reporter with a BB gun. I think that was shooting the reporter with a gun. Yeah, that was that was a thing. Jeez. To Uh, giving playing time to guys like Chip Ambrus. Oh. And Chris Gads. Well, Chris (laughs) Gads, but nothing against Chip Ambrus. I'm sure he's a great guy, but just. uh, D Brown being a thing. Yes. My, uh... it's, just, it's just funny because D Brown, statistically, by by wins above replacement, is the worst Royals player in history. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, which completely Perfect. makes sense because he played in the two thousands for the Royals with Brent Abernathy and Kit Pello and Morgan Burkhart and Calvin Prickering, who had that great week. Oh yeah, man, I thought it would be Betancourt would be the all time loser, but. Uh, my favorite Sweeney moment uh, to interject may or may not have actually happened now that I'm looking at it. Um, so I thought it was back in the early 2000s. I remember Sweeney. It's I, the situation I recall. It's against Kenny Rogers, and it's in the bottom of the ninth. I, was, I think it was when Rogers played for Texas. It's the bottom of the ninth. Sweeney hits a home run down around the left field uh, foul pole, but. Rogers goes out, starts yelling at the umpires, saying that, no, no, that's foul. So the umpires huddle around, they think it over, and they go, yeah, you're right, that was a foul ball. So the very next pitch, Sweeney then cranks that next pitch into left field, no doubt home run. So I'm thinking, man, that's probably my favorite Sweeney moment. But looking back, Mike Sweeney never faced Kenny Rogers, so that's obviously incorrect. And I'm looking over all of his home runs here, and it doesn't seem to be any that – that match that scenario. So, listeners, Royals Review readers, if you recall this moment, it might have been against Joe Nathan, now that I'm looking at it, but if you recall this moment, please fill in the blanks of my obviously riddled mind that has this wrong. Anyway, so, tentatively, that's my favorite Mike Sweeney moment. That may or may not have happened. Uh, so, so as, as a side note to, to the D. Brown thing, I was looking at, like, because uh, fan graphs is a wonderful thing, and you could just like look look up random crap. So we I should just ask them to sponsor this podcast. It's yeah, it's, it's fan graphs. It's fan green. Graphs. Um, <laughs> and anyway, so I was looking up like the worst players that ever played by WAR um, with that had a certain amount of plate appearances. So I was looking to see you know six hundred plate appearances. So like one year. So if you spent one year 
in the major leagues or the equivalent of one year? Who were the worst players in uh, baseball from in the past like 30, 30 years since since eighty five? So the worst player is this guy named Juan Castro, who played between nineteen ninety five and twenty eleven. Um, was he a catcher? He played. He was. He was. He played shortstop, third base, second base. You know, he was one of those those guys. Um, and the the eighth worst player in the past thirty years is D Brown. Nice eighth <laughs> worst out of one thousand six hundred fifty six players. D Brown is the eighth worst. I would have guessed Castro is a shortstop. I I had I don't recall the name, but looking at also him, he's probably shortstop. Um, Nifi Perez is fifteenth yeah. worst. Oh, Ooh. oh Niffy. Former rookie. No, that was on Barroa. Never mind. No, yeah. That was... how, how bad was Barroa? Was he? Um, Let me pull him. Up. Let's see what. Well, bad. he was actually old. Well, so I don't. He was a rookie. Yeah, and I, so I don't. After, I mean, his he had that decent season when obviously he won Rookie of the Year over Hideki Matsui, I believe. Oh. Uh, but after that, I'm, I don't know if he accrued enough playing time to actually earn. A lot of negative wins. Now he spent a lot of time in Omaha making like seven million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> he did because in '04, and this is for the Royals. '04, 550 played appearances. '05, 650. '06, 530. So, yeah, I mean, he had tons of time there, and he had negative wins. I mean, negative win seasons, but he banked so many wins in 2003 that it basically made him uh, completely replacement level, essentially. So. He's, yeah. he's not as bad as memory serves just because he had the one, you know, above average season. So sadly, we, sadly he doesn't go down in the, the hall of uh, inf- terrible. infamy. Yeah, terrible. Your Donald uh, just struck out Mike Trout looking, by the way. Very nice. Yes. Um, Ken Harvey, yeah. 37th worst. Oh. Denny Hawking, he spent time with the Royals. Let's see. He's ninth. He's ninth worst. Ross Glowed, sixty seventh worst. Glowed is really. Yeah. He load. He played for so many. Te- I mean, you, these guys are all so awful. Yet they they play for so many teams because every single team thinks, oh yeah, we can bring this guy back. Which is which is your Ross Glowed, you know, moment there. Where, <laughs> right. Or uh, or they're a clubhouse guy. Yeah. Right. Which Except for, I'm starting to think that must be what Mike Avilas's value is to teams. Yes. Because. He's not very good at baseball. Unieski Bentoncourt, 94th worst. Man. So the Royals have, like, a good solid four that I I can see right off the bat. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, Brian Pena, 105th worst. 105th worst. I would have loved that. Negative 1.4 F4. Are you filtering out pitchers? Because there are, I just saw Terry Holland, who had over 600 plate appearances from 1985 to 2015. You know, I'm not. So some of of these guys are even worse than we think they are. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's really what that comes down to. Oh, that's great. And yet we're all still Royals fans. Yeah. I don't don't know. I don't know how that worked. I really don't. Filtering out pitchers, D Brown moves from ninth to eighth. <laughs> yeah, hey, it's it's it's, uh, it's a big jump. It's uh, a yeah. yeah, yeah. 
logarithmic. Uh, remember when Wilton Guerrero was getting at bats? Is it? It was Vladimir Guerrero's little brother or cousin or something. No, uh, I don't. But uh, David Murphy just tied the game. By the way, it's two two. Yes, now. he did. That oh. jerk. Okay, yep. so good. So we've talked about a lot of stuff. One more thing I want to bring up before we end this podcast. I got in a pretty nice little debate the other day. Eric Hosmer, uh, very hot right now. Matt, you, Matthew, you are a big proponent of the future of Eric Hosmer. Maybe not a big one. Is it? Can I say you're a big proponent of it? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say I was a big proponent. I was more uh, pushing back against uh, your tweets just because I thought they were a little pessimistic. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think that he's necessarily going to be huge, but I think that. Um, I think he's probably better than his career numbers okay. uh, say. But go, go on. Yeah, and so and so, one thing I was talking about was Hosmer's defense, and this is a great kind of uh, great kind of maybe study in you know quantitative against qualitative in a way that defensively the metrics think that Hosmer is basically an, a, 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 an average first baseman. You know, not good, not bad, just kind of right down the middle, really. Maybe slightly one way or the other with some air bars, but. Of course, he gets tons of love in the press. I think he did. He won a Gold Glove, right? Um, so yep. he, he gets a, a lot of love for it. Yet the numbers, which we now have, you know, thousands of innings worth of data to work with on Hosmer, they don't um, think it's the same. Eric Hosmer has two Gold Gloves. He has two. Okay. Yep. What do we think? I mean, which one are you guys more inclined to agree with? Really, the visual or the statistical side of things? Because you can't really agree with both necessarily in this case um well it depends on what you what you look at um his if you look at just pure ultimate zone rating um he has a positive rating for the last three years um and that's so something happened between 12 and 13 if you look at the numbers he goes from like terrible like worse than baseball to you know significantly yeah. better. And didn't so we I think figure out they, that was because he was close, too close to the line? I think that yeah. was the consensus on that. Yeah, they're oh. positioning. So, uh, so if, if you if you believe that, and, you know, that's, that's you know, uh, there's no way to necessarily prove that, but that makes sense. So if, if you think that way, he has a positive ultimate zone raise it, rating over the past uh, three years. Uh, granted, not, you know, ridiculous. 1.1. Uh, but he also has a positive defensive run saved, and he's at seven for the past three years. So I think, I think the 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 metrics are showing that he's good, just good. But you're you're right. Like his the the eye test says, you know, he's amazing. But the the metrics is just like, yeah, he's good. Yeah. But good is not Gold Glove, nor yes. is it amazing, right? Yeah. He's not a, he's not well, Keith Hernandez. Yes. He's not Keith Hernandez. Well, and I think I think one of the things, and it's something that is kind of gotten talked about. I think Dave Cameron has brought it up recently within the last year or so. Is that first base as a defensive position is one of the hardest positions to grade, other than catcher, because of all of the different components that go into it. That some of the things that a first baseman gets penalized or, or rewarded for are out of his control, which is uh, um, throws from third base, shortstop, and second base. Relays, you know, from the pitcher and the catcher on, on trying to make outs. Defensive positioning is such a big deal. And then there's also just kind of the weird requirements of playing first base and 
being one of being really the only position that is going to the bag to get to set up for the force out is your first instinct as opposed to all of the other positions who are more worried about getting to the ball I think creates kind of a, a weird uh, sort of expectation or a weird kind of um, hitch in how first basemen get graded uh, but I, I think I agree with Matt in that Eric Hosmer is probably closer to being average to good than he is to being, you know, what is probably going to be his third consecutive gold glove season this year. Certainly not elite. We can agree with that at least. Yeah. What do you think Ron Washington would say about playing first base? How hard do you think it is? It's incredibly hard. There you go. Glad he got. Glad someone got that reference there. Um, yeah, um, Minda, you probably got to see some some uh, Wizard of Haas down in Omaha. Um, do you recall much of his time there? I mean, do you remember seeing him defensively there? Do you think anything's improved or? You know, um, his time in Omaha was brief, and it overlapped actually a lot of when I briefly moved to uh, Palm Springs, California. So I missed. I, I only saw him for a couple of games. I uh-huh. have, unfortunately, no uh, special knowledge of his, you know, wizardry, other than his rehab assignment uh, last fall, in which he was around just long enough to help Omaha very improbably make it to the playoffs uh, when they had no business being there. Then they won the championship. So, <laughs> so I'm gonna maybe I can attribute that to Hosmer. And you know what, speaking of Hosmer, what irks me is that Eric Hosmer hasn't played for Wilmington since 2009. He is still on Wilmington's background if you go to their website. It's just a photo of Eric Hosmer. I think he may still be on uh, Northwest Arkansas as well. He could be. Yeah, I know that, uh, I think Monesty. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, there's Dozier and some pitcher. I don't know who the pitcher on the website is. Uh, But anyways, yes, I think we can agree that Hosmer. Now, another kind of just final point on Hosmer Freddie Freeman got, I think, eight years, somewhere $130 million. Matt, it seems like you would be maybe fine with that. And not the Royals paying that, obviously, but valuing Eric Hosmer at that deal. Yes or no, do you think? Um, I, I've gone back and forth on, on Hosmer, uh, and I think I, I, I've settled on that um, he's finally – he's got so much athletic talent, and he's been sort of all over the map. But if you if you look at his worst season, which was 2012, um, he was he was in the in the league a full year in 2011, and uh, you know you expect the league to adjust to him first of all, and then second of all, you look at his BABIP, and it is the only season in which it's below 300, and it's not just below 300; it's at 255. Yeah. So that is that's. You know, his BABIP is inflated this year, but he's also been hitting the ball hard. So even if that comes down a little, um, the 255 is just like way, 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 way low. Yeah. And so even though his power was down, um, some of that power probably comes from, you know, people catching balls in the gap or whatever. So I think if you think as 2012 was sort of like an outlier, he's ha- been at least average in all of his seasons. And in three of his seasons, he's been pretty solidly above average. And, you know, you, you look at Alex Gordon, who peaked at age 27, you know, he's 25 right now, 26, 27, 28, you know, those are, you know, big years for hitters. 
I think that if you sign him to a big contract, I think he might, you know, give you a return on that. I do think he might have a little bit of the Matt Kemp style of he just might be terrible for a year, you know. But I think overall he's just got so much talent that and I mean you you look at what he's doing this year. He's just he's killed the ball. Just the whole year. He's killed the ball. And I probably would sign him for that if I had the money to do so. But should the Royals do that? No. Yes, agreed. You you would personally sign him to be if you had the money you would sign him for your serve to to serve you, right, Matt? If you could pay him that much money, um, yes, to be your butler. Only if I serving me meant playing first base, yes, baseball. and not right world. field. By the way, speaking yes. of defensive numbers, <laughs> um, he's played twenty five innings of right field. Um, his uh, defensive run saved is negative two, which is quite quite bad. For 25 innings, but if you look at his UZR ultimate zone rating over uh, 150, yes, it's negative 134 runs. So if he played a full season in right field, he'd be 134 runs worse than your average player, which is about 13 wins. Yes, but say that's negative 13 wins right there, basically. Yeah, that he would be small sample sizes, but also he's terrible in the right field. So. so eh. So Hanley Ramirez is absolutely awful in left field, and he is like ten times not as bad as that. Just so people have a reference of you know what negative 134 runs would look like, the, the Royals would basically need to score an insane amount of runs to overcome that. I mean, put put Billy Butler in the field, and he might be better. Or put Billy Butler in right field, and he might be better than Eric Osmer. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. that's that's it, how bad Eric Osmer is. It'd in right be field. hard to be worse than that. Wasn't it? Wasn't it by Uzer that Billy Butler was? Technically better than Eric Hosmer at first base for a while. Could, yes, that was an argument that was brought up. Because I, I, I remember specifically having that argument with several people that by I I don't remember if it was Total Zone or Fielding Bible or Oozer that in two of those three Billy Butler was rated as being a better first baseman than Eric Hosmer. I think it was UZR, yeah. Uh, and UZR out of 150, Billy Butler's at negative 5.4, and Eric Hosmer is at negative 5.1. But again, realize that the first two years of Hosmer was, yeah. you know, really poor positioning. So, right, right. Uh, a quick look would say either yeah, similar, but I think, you know, over the last three years, Hosmer's shown to be, yeah. you know, way better. Yeah. And the sample yeah. size, I think, is yeah. pretty different. Or at least right. for the most part, seems like. We're, yeah. Um, I mean, Butler did have... A couple of seasons where he consistently played yeah. in space, but but yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not really arguing that yeah. Butler true talent level is better than Hosmer, but it's interesting that the positioning can have such such an impact to that extent that yeah, Eric Hosmer was being graded out as being worse than Billy Butler at first place when. Everybody, I think, is pretty aware that Billy Butler at yes. first base. Though I think he was... I don't think he was as bad as people said he was. Yeah. Billy Butler was not a good first base. They just saw fat... They just saw, you know, fat is mean. They saw a rounder guy that's slow out there, and they go, oh, he probably sucks. You know, I mean... Skill-wise, he was, he was pretty good. You know, he caught the ball routinely and made yeah. some nice catches. Nice he stood catch. there. He, stood yeah, he had there good defensive perfectly. skills, but he's yeah. just not good enough range. Definitely. You see that on Athletics Nation, speaking of Billy Butler, that they're talking about how Oakland needs to get rid of him already? No. 
three three years, thirty million dollars. Just uh, up, is what he signed for. Minda, so, so bad for Butler. You still there, Minda? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just hadn't heard you in a while. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, that's bad. Anyway, so okay, I think we've got everything out of the way. All we wanted to talk about. Um, Royals got job real quick. Let's talk about that while we're at it, just so we have that on record. Yeah. Um, Math, yeah. Matthew, do you want to explain that situation? Um, the Royals uh, had this – so Baseball Tonight um, or, uh, has a um, web gem, and every day the Twitter account, they, they say, hey, retweet if you want this one and favorite if you want that one. And the um, basically the short of it is uh, the Royals' Infante Escobar flip play got one, and then the next day it was not part of their – Tweets, and that would that sounds like it's counterintuitive to the uh, the voting style. That... Yes, like voting. If you vote, your person wins. Otherwise, what's the point of the vote? Unless they have an electoral college, though. We don't we don't know if ESPN has electoral college for that, though. <laughs> so that could be the only gerrymandering. Case. Just yes, online gerrymandering. Yes, they really rig that one. So yeah, I mean, it's not. Listen, it's not. You know, pressing news. It's not something that's going to change the Royals' season, but it's still kind of funny that if you believe in some sort of who did they lose out to? By the way, I'm sorry, I, for, I forgot who it was. It was the Anthony Rizzo. Ah. They well, see, that's the thing. They didn't actually lose. Yeah, right, right. They the Royals beat the Anthony Rizzo going into the crowd play. Right. Came back the next day and beat the Francisco Lindor glove flip, and then the day after that. The vote was between the Anthony Rizzo tarp catch and the Cespedes throw from center field. Which so so not only not only did Rizzo lose, he wasn't even in the next day. But then they brought it back the day after that to go up against the Cespedes play. Yeah, which by the way, uh, the Rizzo play is losing. And that wasn't even that good of a play, the Rizzo one, I don't think. It was more theatrical than it was necessarily. So I think of the Russell Martin one the other day where he jumped up on the um, the dugout railing, which is, you know, a couple inches thick. He's got the cleats yeah. on. I mean, that's a little more spectacular than jumping out on this, you know, gigantic, deep, thick tarp and then making right. the play and then throwing it back. I don't know. I, I didn't think it was that great. But, but definitely, I think they ended up in the seats, which, you know, it, it's funny to look at, and, yeah. and it stands out in the memory in that way. Right, but the Gordon seat thing is un... They yeah. retired him, I think, right? He, yeah, they did. After 50. Well, uh, yeah, after 50, 50 wins. Yeah, and the thing is, is the Infante Escobar play took over for the Gerard Dyson no-look-over-the-shoulder oh, yeah. catch double play. <sighs> so... The Royals had been for for this season <laughs> collectively. I tried to do the math earlier. It's pretty hard, but collectively this season, the Royals have had the reigning web gym for I think something like ninety one days. Yeah, which is a which has got to be what seventy eighty percent of the entire season. Yeah, you know I mean? thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. It's just and the only and the only way they get rid of them is by just. <laughs> Job changing the rules. Yeah. Making it up and hoping no one notices. Yeah, yeah, because I don't think that 50-game limit existed until Gordon yeah. had to be... Uh, they had to come up with some way yeah. to retire that. 
yeah, it's okay. just funny that fans just kept vote. I mean, yeah, it's totally a fan vote thing, but it's just kind of funny. They at some point like, all right, fans, just chill out. We're done with this Gordon thing. Right. We get it. It's yeah. awesome. Might be play of the year. So yeah, definitely better than the Anthony Rizzo one. Which who knows that Gordon one could still be going to this day. Um, of course, the Royals they were never ESPN was never going to have a Royals I, against Royals you know replay you know those two matchings. To be fair, I I would vote the Dyson play over the Gordon. Really? Win. Yeah. That's amazing. Running running that far, and making what is essentially a behind the back no look catch when he was about ten inches away from running into the wall, uh, I I think is is. Not by a wide margin, but I would definitely say it was was more impressive. Does Fangraph have a stat for play? Like, a- oh, I mean, it's probably worth more DRS because he turned it into a double play. Yeah, I was just. I mean, it it was certainly if you want to be a big proponent of uh, win probability added, the Dyson play was worth more. Which I am. Uh Ryan Lefebvre would think that that is two DR defensive run saves. Every play that is good is one defensive run save. Every play. Uh, Doesn't understand it. but And that's the thing that we've talked about. And, um, Matt, you had – real quick while we're on it. Matt, you had a piece on that too about kind of – I don't believe – did you recall it ignorance or, or how did you label the title of that about, you know – Oh, I the arrogance of arrogance. ignorance. Yeah, and that's a good one that a lot of fans will like to prove – good things about their teams via stats. You know, they care about wins above replacement when it comes to saying how good Zobrist is, but when it comes to saying that, hey, you know, Jeremy Guthrie's not a very good pitcher, they go, well, he, no, he adds this, he adds that. So I think that's You know, yeah. the crazy thing about that was, I think it was um, Thursday, because I was writing, writing the recap of that, and Ryan and Rex were talking about DRS in regards to Omar Infante, and they were talking about how good he is in DRS. And that that is true. That is true. But you look at his wins above replacement, and it's negative zero point nine, right? So if you're looking at DRS, you're like, no, he's good. You're just like willfully not looking yes. at anything that disproves what you want to see, which means that you're not doing anything that's useful at all. You're just saying yeah. that you, could, you might as well be just reading the phone book. Like yeah. it just doesn't matter. And it's not okay. like it's not like Infante is at like. 1.7 war where you could be like okay he's pretty close to an average player you probably wouldn't call him below average I mean he's right on the cusp with their bars he's negative one and a half or whatever it was that you're you know it's not even close to even replacement let alone average so yeah I mean that's I thought your article was really great I think you deserve a lot of praise for that so great job thank you yeah I do too Minda I also do. Okay, good. I want to be sure everybody was on. <laughs> thank board. you, thank you. Well, yeah, no, and it really I mean, did. just just to just to emphasize Matt's point or the point that we're making. Omar Infante has defensively has saved six about about half a win for the Royals this season. Offensively speaking, he has cost them about two and a half wins. Give or, take, are, or run, yeah. runs, I should say. And and so it's and like Matt was saying, I mean, to just kind of willfully ignore the fact that he has been by weighted runs created plus the worst offensive player in baseball this season. Yes. By a wide margin. I, I mentioned it on Twitter earlier today. 
that he his WRC plus is forty. And the next qualified player is Billy Hamilton, whose weighted runs created plus is fifty four. So it's not even that Omar Infante is the worst player. He's the worst player by fourteen percent. Yes, below average. All three, you, you triple slashes. You know, it has its value. All three of his triple slash metrics average OBP slugging below three hundred. That is Ooh. almost impossibly bad. Yeah, Gerald Dyson's never had a season like that, and he's considered to be a terrible hitter by a lot of people. Yet. We still have two more seasons, yet Infante might be on the playoff roster. So, that is not good. Uh, we, no, should, not. we should put that new Ben Zobras guy I'm, in his well, I, am, I, I am glad that, that Yost finally admitted to Infante's season-long hitting <laughs> slump. Yeah. Yes. It was a really diplomatic way of saying, like, yes, he's terrible. Right. But we've had to stick with, but I've chosen to stick with him all season to this yeah. point. Yeah, well, right. it's only been it's only been about a thousand plate appearances dating back to last year. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, give, give the guy a shot. Give him a shot, right? Well, and and I mean, if and people have brought up, uh, not people, one person I know <laughs> has, has brought up Mike Mustakis. Oh. Because we gave Mike Mustakas a thousand plate appearances, and now he's a slightly above average to average hitter this season, and go him. And then I remind them that Omar Infante is almost a decade older than him, and they don't really seem to know what to make of that, because apparently age doesn't matter when you play baseball. Neither does giant mechanical changes in your approach and swing either apparently to this person that right. yeah. isn't just it didn't just click for him it's no. not you know it, it took changes so uh, yes Infante is very bad so let's hope we don't have any more Infante right um, so anyways okay uh, podcast done what else do we have to cover anybody here anything I I don't know I think I think it's time it's time for yes. I, w- I would insert a song, like, I, you know, if this was a musical, we could insert a song, but it's not, so... Yes. I, we're really- I would like to say congratulations to the Royals on winning the American League Central. Because <laughs> uh, I have a feeling that if I am ever on the show again, which I might not be if they actually lose, but I'm pretty confident because at this point they'd have to go something like 15 and 31... And the twins would have to go like twenty seven and like fourteen. Yeah, it's it's not gonna to, happen. In order it's to just tie them for the division. So, congrats on winning the central uh, because they will probably have locked it up by the next time I'm on the show if I'm ever on again. Pakoda even thinks they're going to win the central. The biggest pessimist for the Royals this whole year, Pakoda, is mm-hmm. on the bandwagon finally. So. Right. And also, congratulations, Minda, by, by the way. Just yes. got married. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. So, great job. Uh, well, this is the end of the, the podcast here. Thanks for listening. We'll have a musical outro. Um, feel free to listen to us more on you know further podcasts. Read us on Royals Review. Uh, Joshua Ward, thank you for coming on. And if you want to follow Josh, 
you can follow him at Josh's Twitter handle, which is J underscore K underscore W A R D. And then we also have uh, great Omaha Storm Chaser content brought to you by uh, Minda Haas Ni Haas, right? That's how you say it. It's N E E Haas. Yeah. Coolman. Um, yeah. And you can follow Minda at Minda33. Right. Correct. Minda 33. Conveniently just use the first name in that so there's no confusion with the uh, name change. <laughs> yes. I, that, I was really thinking ahead in 2008 when I signed up for Twitter with that. Yes. Were you dating your current husband in 2008? Heavens no. 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 Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So, and then Welcome finally, the my co-host uh, Matthew Lamar. Matt, what's that uh, Twitter handle of yours? It's at Lamar underscore Matt. And then finally, I'm Sean Newkirk. Uh, you're the co-host, and I'm Sean Core S H A U N C O R E. I think in Chicago because I'm going to be back at the Chicago game. I'm going to bring in a sign that's just a white piece of paper with my Twitter handle on it. I'm just going to sit there because I should be. Our seats should be good enough that we should be in the camera view the entire broadcast. So, oh wow! Look out for that. If you see an idiot with that sign, it's probably myself. But I might pay someone to. Speaking do it. of which, I will be in the crown seats on August 24th. Nice. So. I will also probably be on TV. This uh, the pink dress girl is still there. Just to update. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and sit in that stool. Yeah, in that fold out chair that she seems to have brought with her. You know, that's where the Rockies mascot uh, at, at Colorado games. That's where he stands behind and shakes his stomach at the pitchers. So maybe <laughs> maybe that's her ploy. She's gonna get up and do that in the ninth. Um, and, and hopefully Marlins band will be there too, Josh. When when you're there. Um, oh. Which would be great. You obviously have to get a photo. Yeah, woohoo! So, so, I can uh, hear your eyes rolling. Yeah. Oh. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, uh, guests. Thank you, and everybody. Uh, we'll see you soon. Peace.